All right, if you would, let's take our copy of God's Word this morning and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3 will be the text we're going to begin with this morning. And then we will be looking at paragraph 8 of chapter 26 of the Baptist Confession of Faith. And uh, we'll primarily be introducing this paragraph. Uh, We won't get entirely through this paragraph this morning, as we're going to spend a little bit more time today uh, looking at the actual text, 1 Timothy 3. Uh, I do want to read the entire chapter here, so it's 16 verses, and uh, we'll read to set our context and uh, where we're going uh, this morning. Beginning there in verse 1 of 1 Timothy 3, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, a filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so, must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree, and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. This morning we're going to begin dealing specifically with the officers in the local church. And 1 Timothy, of course, chapter 3 here, is one of the classic passages that deals with not only the office itself, but with the requirements of those offices. Uh, There are two offices that are mentioned in 1 Timothy 3. It is the office of a bishop and the office of a deacon. So we see that the scripture is giving us very clearly uh, there are these two offices that are to be maintained. Now, when we look over at our paragraph, paragraph 8 in the confession, let's just read this again so we'll kind of see the connection this morning. It says in in paragraph 8 of the confession, a particular church gathered and completely organized according to the mind of Christ consists of officers and members 
and the officers appointed by Christ to be chosen and set apart by the church, so called and gathered, for the peculiar administration of ordinances and execution of power or duty, which he entrusts them with or calls them to, to be continued to the end of the world, are bishops or elders and deacons. So there's one very clear um, kind of clarifying statement we need to make at the beginning. A local church is to be organized. Uh, It is to have an actual structure. Uh, This is not the environment for a group of people to just gather together and, excuse the expression, wing it. It is supposed to be structured and organized according to the biblical pattern. So the way that we know that we have a church in one of those ways is we certainly have an organization. Now you'll notice that even in the confession it says completely organized. And it talks about a particular church, a local church. We've learned over the weeks that uh, the local church is carrying out uh, the, the commission of the Lord. And we're part of the bigger, of course, the, the invisible church. But the local church is carrying out on these individual basis. And he makes mention of this organization, the, the confession writers did, of this organization that's to be organized according to the mind of Christ. Uh, not according to the mind of men, not according to the mind of the local association, not according to the mind of the convention, uh, according to the mind of Christ. So it's to be structured based upon what God says it should or should not be. So, and it is for these officers are appointed by Christ to be chosen and set apart by the church. Uh, So they are called, set apart for the peculiar administration. In other words, these officers of the church are going to do peculiar things. They are going to be set apart to do things that maybe that not everyone else in that local congregation of people is doing. I know we live in a world today that says everybody and everything should be completely equal and totally on the same level. So we're all equal. And this has nothing to do with equality. This has to do with the structure and the mind of God. And the mind of God is that this is the way it's supposed to be. Now, it does not make the bishop and the deacon more important. It doesn't mean that they're a higher class of people. But it does indicate that they are called and chosen out. They are called for that peculiar administration. So they are doing those things according to the mind of Christ. And the execution of power or duty, which he entrusts them with or calls them to be continued to the end of the world, are bishops, elders, and deacons. So this organizational structure is to continue until the end. So there is not going to come a point in time when God has said, as long as this age and this world continues, where he says we no longer need bishop, elders, pastor, elders, and deacons, you can just cease from that and stop. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to us. But one of the fads in the church now, and one of the fads that is happening in people who call themselves churches, is to remove those offices and to simply give what we're going to refer to today as coffee house church. Which basically means we're all on equal playing ground, so all we really need to do is just kind of set up some tables and set up an environment where everybody can express their opinion and express their thoughts, 
and we'll call that church. Fortunately, that's not being done according to the mind of God. Uh, This may be on a side note, but one of the most dangerous things that can happen inside of a church is when we have times where when people just gather together and just say, well, here's what I think. Here's what I feel. Here's what I think the scripture means. There's no such thing as what you think the scripture means. The scripture has one meaning. It has meaning not for us to interpret through our mind, but through the mind of Christ. So this is very clear that we've got bishop, elders, and we have these deacons. So this morning, we're primarily dealing with the identity of these particular churches. Now, there are some things we know about a church in order for it to be completely organized. It must be a gathered church. It has to be gathered. Uh, We are thrilled and uh, ought to be looking forward to the gathering of our church. Whenever the church can gather together, uh, this is part of what the church is supposed to be about. I've said this over and over again. Online church is not the church. That's not a gathering. You are not together in the spirit, so to speak. The gathering of the church is to come together (laughs) as people. We're gathered together. Not only are we gathered, but we are assembled. Now you say those are the same things. It's a little bit different. Assembly of people are people who are together according to, and they're voluntarily together, according to the same common faith. In other words, this is not just a general gathering. This is a gathering that is common, a common faith, a common belief system, a common set of values, if you will. And then it's organized. And it's all according to the mind of Christ. So the local church itself is not just a gathering of disciples, but they are disciples who are gathered intentionally, who have organized themselves in obedience to Scripture. Okay? The Scripture is the mind of God. The mind of God is not your premonition, not your preference. The mind of God is the Scripture. Now, a lot of people get this, they make this grave mistake. Well, God told me this. God's not going to tell you something contrary to Scripture. Just like in the text we read this morning, it's very clear that a bishop is to be a man. A husband of one wife. That does not make women of lesser value. But that's God's mind. That's God's structure. That's what he has said that this is supposed to be. Every female who is acting in that role as a bishop or an elder is in violation of Scripture. You say, but wait a minute, that's some of the most popular authors of our day. They're wrong. They're wrong. And they're violating Scripture. They're in disobedience to the Word of God. There is no such thing as a female bishop or elder. It's not recognized by God. They said, what's well, an organized church? It's not organized according to the mind of God. Again, I know society says, well, that's unfair. You have to take that up with God. That's God's command for the church. So the scriptures are where the mind of God is revealed. So this description that we see in 1 Timothy 3 of the local church informs us that just because a group of Christians congregate in a place does not make them a church. 
So just because a group of Christians get together, they can't just say, well, we're a church now because we're all together. You know, that verse where two or three are gathered in my name, that's what they claim. Well, they obviously not understanding the full context of the passages. So a church is organized, it's structured. Now, when Paul was writing to Timothy, we understand that we were dealing contextually with a time when things were a bit different. The church was still in its infancy, if you will. It was still being planted. It was still the apostles, the apostle Paul specifically here, was still that authorized servant of God who is establishing and giving the guidelines and the rules for the organization of these churches. Nothing has changed. The apostolic authority of Paul that he wrote to these churches on is still our authority because this is the inspired word of God. So I don't need a church manual from the Christian bookstore. I just need to look at the manual that I already have. Because it already tells me exactly what it should look like. And it already gives me that it should be organized and structured. So Paul, when he's writing to Timothy... He makes a very profound statement about this office. He says, this is a true saying. If a man. Now again, I don't mean to be offensive today, but I have written in my Bible, the word man circled with a line drawn out and says, not a woman. I do not have to be a scientist to figure out the difference between a man and a woman. For centuries... Everybody has known that. But now, we have a society that says, you, theoretically, can choose which one you want to be. And we're brainwashing children into believing that. No, God made man and God made woman, and he clearly said in the structure and organization of the church, these officers, it has to be a man. If a man desires the office. The office tells us that this is something that actually has a structure to it. It actually has a title. Now, I mentioned to you last week, the structure of the Bible in the mind of Christ is not the corporate structure of society. In other words, God did not set out to say, make your church like Microsoft or Apple or Tesla Choose whatever you want. He didn't say make your structure like that. He didn't say that you you want to have this, this structure of authority where you've got presidents and vice presidents and you've got associate vice presidents and you've got midline managers and uh, you've got managers for this and managers for that. Do a quick study online and find out how many churches are structured that way. It's frightening. And yet right in front of them, God has already said, here's exactly what these offices are. He says the office, the office of a bishop, elder, pastors. So this instruction that Paul is giving to Timothy is about the qualifications of these office bearers. Now, really what the warning is, is that Paul was warning Timothy to beware of anything or anyone that would lessen the importance of this structure. In other words, don't allow anything to change the structure in which the mind of Christ has revealed to you. Now remember, Timothy would have received this in a letter. 
we have it in the completed canon, the completed scriptures. He would have received this as an authoritative letter for Paul. Again, if we, just, if we look at the Bible as just a book of suggestions and not an authoritative letter, we're going to begin veering off the path and start creating our own environment for what we want the church to look like. Hence, that's why you see, again, contemporary is not bad. It's not a bad word. But when we associate it with trying to make it so that people more relate to it, make it relevant, we are devaluing the importance that God put on it. This is not a light thing. The church is not just, like I said, it's not just doesn't line up with your other club memberships. It's not, hey, I'm a member of this golf club over here, and I'm also a member of a church over here, and they're kind of on equal standing. They're not even in the same department. The church is God's structure. It's God's mind. It's what God has said that the church should be. So he calls it an office, and notice he says he desires a good work. A man is not forced to become a bishop, an elder, pastor against his will. He actually desires it. He actually desires it because God has put that desire in him. A man does not choose to be a bishop, elder, pastor because he, th he thinks that it's a good way to earn a living. Now, I'm afraid it is happening. There are people who have entered into this office unrightfully, not being chosen by God and not even being chosen by a church, and have established themselves as a bishop, elder, pastor, and are fleecing the flock because of it. Remember we read last week in Acts 20 that Paul said, he warned, after my departure, I want you to know that grievous wolves will enter in, but also beware of those that are already within. There will always be, and one of the most dangerous times in the life of a church is when those offices are vacated. Whether we have a situation where you have a plurality of elders, where you have more than one pastor, or you have one single pastor, any time that happens, that church is in a dangerous place. And it's not the same thing to just say, well, if we lose our pastor elders, a deacon can step in. The problem is a deacon is not the same as a bishop and a pastor, an elder. They're not equal offices as far as what their functions are. I've told you, I think it was last week or the week before, uh, churches are not run by deacons. Okay, they're not, there's, and you hear it all the time. What kind of church are you? Are you, are you pastor-led, deacon-led, board-led? What is the case? And there are deacon-led churches. Yet, biblically speaking, the deacon was not given the responsibilities of that oversight like the bishop, elder, pastor is. Matter of fact, we'll learn over the coming weeks that it carries out more of a benevolent, compassionate part of the ministry. Most churches are structured wrong in this area. Deacons are really kind of the benevolent. They are the ones who are looking out for some of the physical needs of the church, and they're helping meet those needs. So these structures are there. And again, we'll get more into this as we get uh, over the next couple of weeks. So he says he desires this good work. Uh, it's it's a, a work of high regard. Again, a man does not give this desire to himself, nor can he force himself or intrude to this work. And then this is when Paul begins to break down 
these qualifications. Now, this is where mankind has decided, all right, I desire the office, but everything beyond my desire doesn't really matter. And this is where we've gone off the rails. These are not suggestions, okay? These are not, hey, this is what you look for on a resume, and then you weigh out the balances when you get your pastoral resume. Uh, let's just weigh them out. This is what he says should be, are the qualifications. A bishop then must. Must isn't a very important word. Now, I know in our modern society, well, what does he mean by must? If I say I must go somewhere, I'm telling you what? That there's not an option here. I, I have to attend or I have to go. I must be blameless, right? He doesn't say sinless, but he does talk about being blameless. Now, this blameless has reference to uh, reproach or being above and beyond reproach. It, it has that idea um, of being above, um, you could put it this way, above scandal. And I hope we're not taking pride in the scandals that we're seeing in the churches today because these are grievous things. These are grievous things that bring us to this place where we say, uh, what is happening here? This, this church or itself is, is become scandalous in a way. And if the church becomes scandalous, the name of Christ and the name of the Lord is being reproached. So he is to be blameless. Uh, blameless and above this, what we'll call reproach. And then he says, the husband of one wife. And we've kind of already covered this. Um, you would think in our day and age that we could get to the point where this, the clarity here would be easy to see. The husband. So what does that tell us about the reality? Again, it is to be a man. The husband of one wife. Now, when we talk about that and we talk about the husband of one wife... Again, there are those that are taking, and we'll talk more about this next week, they take various positions on this. Uh, is he talking about has never been married before? Is he talking about divorce? Is he talking about remarried? We do know that he is saying at this point, the husband of one wife. We're going to deal more with that uh, even when we get into next week. But notice the next series of qualifications. Vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Okay, so these are, uh, to be sober is to, to stop and to ponder and to think about the responsibility that lays upon that man. To be sober-minded, to be with self-control, with restraint of good behavior. Um, there are not a lot of things that are more disappointing than bad behavior by an elder pastor bishop. Now, sadly, and I don't mean to uh, negate any of this, but it is magnified in a church if a pastor, elder, has bad behavior. It's magnified well above and beyond the behavior of another congregant. Now, many like myself said in the very beginning when God called me, that's not fair. That's part of the responsibility. It's part of the obligation that God put the desire in my heart 
And who am I to argue with the desire that God put there? That means that I might be held to a higher standard and that my bad behavior might be magnified and might actually be worse. That doesn't mean the congregation behavior is any less, but there certainly is that magnification. And that's why when we see, sadly, we see a man fall from, from ministry over a sin, it's magnified. And society responds by saying, how could a man of God fall? Well, the reality is, is we are all one choice away from falling. And if you think you are not near falling, pride already has you. Because we all are in danger of that. But there is this good behavior given to hospitality, one who is receptive of others. Again, now you have to keep in mind that there will be times when people's opinion of what that should look like will enter into the equation. Well, here's what I think hospitality is. Here's what I think he should be doing. Here's what I think he should be acting. And again, we've got to keep in mind the difference between preferences and what the mind of God actually reveals apt to teach. Um, teaching is important. Um, that really means he's able to teach others. He's able to take God's word and teach it to someone else. It's not just his own personal study. It's him able to teach. Able to teach God's word. So very, uh, very important concepts here. Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. A striker is a person who is argumentative. Uh, they are always looking for an argument. My position on not given to wine is zero. That's my position. You can argue with me, you can dispute, that's fine. My position scripturally, my conviction is, is not given to wine at all. I don't buy into the social drinking aspect of the new Christianity. That's my position on that. Not given to wine. I don't get into the arguments that says, no, God said we could have some wine, just don't get drunk. I'm not even going to argue with you in that regard. Because at that point, you're arguing for something that is of such insignificance. <laughs> this, this is clear to me. Not given to. He's not a striker. He's not greedy of filthy lucre. It's not his, it's not his, it's not his uh, uh, mission to acquire things. Now again, it does not mean that a bishop, pastor, elder is to be poor. It just simply means that that should not be his main goal in life is to, uh, to acquire these things, that he becomes greedy of, of things to the point that he'll do it even in deceptive ways to get it. Patient. Uh, we all need patience, right? We all need to be more patient. Again, not a brawler, very similar to uh, being quarrelsome or argumentative as that striker is. Um, so an office, an office bearer such as this bishop, pastor, elder should not be motivated, of course, by riches. So then Paul takes these qualifications and he gives us this practical application. He says, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. In other words, this man should also rule his own house well. 
I've seen many a man make a terrible mistake in this area. I've seen a man, I've seen men place so much emphasis on what they're doing church-wise and their families are an absolute wreck. And what you see when you see them is a demonstration of let's straighten up to get to church so that everybody thinks the house is in order. And five minutes after service is dismissed, it's not in order. The children are not in subjection. Now, he's not talking about a perfect home because not one of you here, including myself, have a perfect home. You're not the perfect parent, so you don't have the perfect kids. You're a sinner saved by grace, which means sometimes you sin against your kids just like they sin against you. Sometimes we look at our kids and we say, why are they doing that? Well, because quite frankly, practically, they learned it from you. That's where they learned how to act that way. Um, we were talking when we were away the last couple of weeks, we were talking and we like to people watch when we're sitting there on the beach. We like to watch people and it's a frightening thing. It's frightening how many parents were teaching their children to rebel against authority. I was, I was appalled. Uh, there was a couple particular days where I, this is how, I, I don't want to go off in the, but it is, a, it is a great example of where rebellion begins. We know, we know kids and we know children Bible teaches us that we're sinners by birth. We're sinners from the womb. We know we're going to sin, but we don't need to help it along. And there were a few days where, you know, you go to the ocean and what do you want to do? You want to get in the ocean. It's, the, it's one of the, re, there, there are water people and there are sand people. I'm a sand person, right? I'm okay on the beach. I don't need to get in. But there are people that if I can't get in the water, my whole day is ruined. Well, there were two or three days where they, they have this system where they put, it's called double, double red flags, which means you cannot get in the water. Now, all you have to do is not get in the water. We all following each other, don't get in. And so, as long as the lifeguards were not there, people got in. I watched parents standing on the shore saying, okay, the lifeguard went by, and at one point, the sheriff of the county came in, and they're announcing all down the beach, look, if you're in the water now, you're subjected to a $500 fine. And here comes the police, and the minute, I'm, I kid you not, these are not the kids watching this. These are the parents watching them go by, and then they tell their kids to get, in, get into the water. Now, what are they teaching their children? They're teaching their children that it's, obey, it's okay to disobey authority if it's something that you want. This happened repeatedly. I watched fathers get in the face of police officers and lifeguards arguing with the reason why is the water closed? And all they kept trying to tell them was is because what's going on out there is it's very dangerous. And I kid you not, Ambulances were running all day long, rescue after rescue after rescue, four or five people drowned the week were there. And even after all of that, they're still telling their kids, it's okay for you to get in. This is ridiculous. This is, we pay good money to be here. Folks, I'm telling you, sometimes we look at our children and we say, how did you become so rebellious? And many, many times it's because we have taught our children to rebel just by them watching us. Listen, you realize there are things we have to obey that we disagree with. My right to obey or disobey is not based upon what I think about it. 
It's my response to what's being said. And this obedience, this ruling well, subjection has that that principle to it. Being in subjection. Submission is a very difficult thing. Submission to all authority is a difficult thing. Wives called to submit to their husbands. It is a very difficult thing. It's hard to submit to each other. But it's even harder to submit to God's authority. See, the reason we won't submit is because we won't submit to God. The reason we are not in subjection to authority is because we won't subject ourselves to God. So he gives this, he gives this uh, as a principle. And he says, for if a man knows not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? That's a question. The answer is he can't. He's not going to rule God's house well if he's not able to, he's not going to rule God's house well if he's not able to rule his own home. So these principles are very, very important. So where does leadership begin? It begins in the home. If you can't oversee God's family, or you can't oversee your family, you're not going to be able to oversee God's family. But then let's just finish with verse 6. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. A novice can, can mean a couple of things. It can mean uh, newly converted, right? That can be the case. But it can also be newly, and I like what, what uh, some of the commentators say, uh, not newly planted, uh, which is it's a, it's an interesting uh, way of putting it. It is uh, someone who just recently came forth into the congregation. Sometimes we, get, we make the mistake and we say a novice is just somebody who didn't just get saved last week. Just because a person comes into a congregation and is quote-unquote qualified doesn't mean that they are being called and set apart for that local congregation. Now, we don't think this happens as often as it does, but you'd be shocked the mindset when people join churches, what they're actually thinking when they enter into those doors. They've got in their mind that this is what I'm aspiring to do. And I'm aspiring to become this, become this, and become a pastor or elder or deacon, whatever the case is. He says it should not be a novice that's in this office. Now, in our modern day, it's, we would say, certainly not somebody who's a recent Bible college grad either. You know, it's, it, that's, there's the ideas here. And you see, you see the principles here, novice. Why? Because being lifted up with pride, it'll be a source of pride for that person. It'll be a source of pride that will feed their flesh. Um, a person who is given an office or appointed with power uh, oftentimes will misuse that power. They will assume that because I'm in the office, my wisdom follows very closely behind that, right? Or it makes the assumption that I, because the church says I'm this, then I am qualified in every way, shape, or form. So at the core of this, right, at the core of this, uh, Paul, as he's teaching Timothy this, he's specifically dealing with local church matters. Uh, 1 Timothy 3 is not evangelistic. It's not about uh, what the seeker wants. Okay, It's not about how do you make your church appeal, appealing 
to the outside world. Um, we, don't, we don't do anything here to try to appeal uh, to the outside world other than preaching the truth. That's, that's, and following the mind of Christ in the matter. Uh, that can take on a lot of different forms, but, but we're not trying to make it so that church is like you never left home. It's not supposed to be that way. It's one of the reasons, I think, and again, COVID revealed a lot to us, but people got real comfortable at home. They got real comfortable. The amount of churches who could not reopen because nobody else came back. And the church is a precious thing to God. And we ought to consider that if we're part of a local church, we are... It is to be composed of people who are indeed saved, who have been baptized. They're disciples who are willingly consenting to walk together. Uh, Just as a pastor elder is not forced against his will to be into that office, you will never, I mean, we'll speak for this church, you will never be forced to join this church. But if you join this church, there are responsibilities that come along with it. And that's not legalism, folks. That has nothing to do with legalism. We go to a job and we agree to whatever that is and we don't think twice about it. But the church says, you know what, here's some requirements of being a church member. And they say, well, that's legalism. No, it's not. Because it's according to the pattern. There are responsibilities in Scripture that what congregants are to be. So we're obviously dealing primarily with the offices, but there are congregational responsibilities as well. So we voluntarily assemble and gather and organize. We first of all give ourselves up to the Lord. And we do, in a sense, submit not just to God, but we submit by the will of God to each other. We are, subjection, we are in subjection to one another as we are trying to follow God together. So finally, at the core, we'll deal more with this passage next week, but at the core of the local church, and even what Paul was talking to Timothy about, is this common commitment to love one another in obedience to Christ and that we are to incorporate our personal lives into this submission. There's not one church life and then my non-church life. Just like there is no such thing as your public and private life. It is all your life. Just because you do it in private doesn't make it right. This isn't my church life. This is my life, right? So the word of God demands that the church be organized, assembled. That means it has structure and it represents the rule of Christ. So... We want our church to represent the mind of Christ, not the latest fad of the day. Churches are scrambling left and right. They're restructuring all the time. Do you know why they have to restructure all the time? Because they're they're changing with the times. What was popular in church movements five years ago, you're now considered outdated if you're still doing that. Well, then we must be ancient. And, and I will tell you, there are people, there are people that come to our church and they don't always, if you're not prepared for what you come into, they don't know how to take this because it's so simple. The structure is simple. And they're looking 
for the entertainment to come, and the entertainment never comes. They're looking for the program to come, and the program never comes. But they keep hearing the same thing. They keep seeing a congregation of people that are praying. They keep seeing a congregation where Christ is the preeminent. The preaching is the central focus of what's going on. The praise and the worship and the reading of Scripture. And it's over and over and over again. I never see Paul writing to different churches and saying, now you do it this way, you do it this way, you do it this way. He says, no, here's the mind of God on this. Every church should look this way. Now again, I'm not talking about Americanizing foreign churches, right? I'm talking about the structure, right? What is it? Praying, preaching, singing of the word, reading the scriptures. It's, it's the simplicity of it. The offices are simple. You have the office of bishop, the overseer, pastor, elder. You have that office, and then you have the office of deacon. So next week, we'll go a little bit deeper into this um, about uh, the responsibilities. We saw the qualifications today. We'll deal more with the responsibilities and how that actually, how that functions. So how is it going to function on a local church level? Okay, let's pray. Father, we are thankful, Lord, for your goodness. And Lord, we're thankful that your word provides such clarity in matters concerning the church. And Lord, we certainly want to guard against any sort of pride or arrogance. And Lord, may we never take for ourselves what you have commanded in your word. May we never say that this is what we have thought up, that this is what we think, that we as a church follow the pattern that has been revealed in the word of God. Lord, I am thankful that you have placed a church here that desires to do things the way God's word says to do them. Lord, that we are not driven by the common fads and philosophies of the day, but that we truly want to worship in spirit and in truth. Father, you know our heart. You know that we're not always perfect, and sometimes our motives are impure. We, we do things and say things that we ought not say. And Lord, I pray that the Spirit would bring us conviction in those areas. But Lord, may we be humble. May we submit and be subjected to Almighty God first and foremost. And then may we see the importance of not only being in subjection to those offices in the church, but being in subjection to one another. The beauty of the church, the beauty of what Christ died for, the beauty of Christ's people, to even be considered a son or a daughter of God, uh, to bring us to a place of complete humility. Uh, Lord, may we never take the privilege and the opportunity to belong to a local church for granted. Father, we do pray that even through this time of fellowship now, you'll give us conversations that are edifying, things that lift each other up and prepare our hearts for the morning service today, Lord. Father, that our minds and our hearts would be ready to hear from you again. Father, we do love you and we thank you. And it's in Christ's name and for his sake I ask these things. Amen. All right. Lord bless you. We'll look forward to seeing you here. It's uh, 10 till so we'll plan on starting at our normal 11:15 this morning uh, there is coffee and other uh, and water and things in there so if you want to help yourself to that and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you at 11:15.